Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. So many things going on in our world, and specifically in the good old USA. Enough craziness from both Democrats and Republicans to last several of these episodes. But let's start with the most pathetic former president in modern American history. Want to take a guess who? That's right, Donald Trump. In the wake of new evidence that he was really ready to seize voting machines, he also, before he left office, was ready to pardon the January 6th insurrectionists. We already knew, he said if he got elected president, again, he would pardon them. This is, by the way, typical Trump, as is his bizarre assertion that so-called liberal states are withholding COVID vaccines from white people. As usual, his rants are evidence-free. Yet the most outrageous and pathetic are his statements to the news channel Newsmax that jailed insurrectionists are being treated unfairly. Now, this is not any, anything I've said up until now should come as absolutely no surprise. Donald Trump, it appears, has constructed a world for himself where all these things are for him utterly factual. That's right, liberal states, maybe New York, California, whatever, are deliberately withholding vaccines from white people. Can you imagine that? Now, half his core, half his base, don't even want the vaccines. But yet, he gets currency by saying to some people, well, I don't have any evidence of this, just like I didn't have any evidence that Barack Obama was not born in the U.S., but take my word for it. Liberal states are, in fact, withholding COVID vaccines from white people. This is absolutely incredible. As usual, Trump, during this Newsmax interview, trotted out his usual whatabouts. What about Antifa? What about Black Lives Matter? Etc., etc. He also misstated the death toll on January 6th, only referencing Ashley Babbitt and not Roseanne Boylan or the other people who died. On top of that, he's taken to blaming Nancy Pelosi for the insurrection. Nancy Pelosi, who some of the insurrectionists wanted to kill, and yet she's responsible for the insurrection. If that weren't enough, he continues to push the lie that Vice President Mike Pence could have invalidated the 2020 election results. This is some of this stuff is so bizarre, so off the wall, such an outlier that you almost have to laugh. Almost have to laugh. Now, I've said in previous episodes that Trump would do anything, and I mean anything, to reinforce his brand with his core followers. And all these outrageous lies are now part of his shtick. In previous episodes as well, I've marveled at how he manages to rope his followers into a blind belief in just about everything he says. Truth be told, I've given up trying to figure that one out. All I can say is that with the midterm elections coming up, Democrats need to Velcro every lie that Trump has told since leaving office, because some people are not going to pay any attention to the ones he did while he was in office, or even before he was in office. But they need to Velcro every lie that he's told since leaving office to every Republican running 
under his auspices. That's one way they can mitigate against media-induced flipping of both houses of Congress that the right seems to see coming. Now, I say the media-induced flipping of both houses because the election is still some time off. Yet, if you read some media, the verdict is in already. And that, in fact, there is not going to be a Democratic majority either in the House or in the Senate. Republicans will take both. And, you know, they've done a pretty good job at, A, propagandizing about this, and, B, in putting the mechanisms in place to pull it off. They've managed to commandeer uh, through state legislatures, etc., the voting apparatus in certain states, certain swing states. They are pretty confident that they can pull this off. But speaking of Republicans and Velcro, have you heard about the Republican National Committee on January 6th? If only this was a joke. The RNC, in a resolution condemning Representatives Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois for participating in the House probe of the insurrection, the resolution said the pair were taking part in, now get this, persecution of ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse, unquote. That's right. The insurrectionists were engaging in legitimate political discourse, invading the Capitol with weapons, threatening to kill both the vice president and speaker of the house, and trampling a supporter to death is now legitimate political discourse. Is there any excuse left for these people? Any excuse at all? They're trying to rewrite history. Make no mistake about that. The RNC's leadership was quick to point out they weren't talking about people who stormed the Capitol. So, who was it they were talking about? The January 6th committee is not examining legitimate political discourse, so you can't blame them for that. Certainly can't blame Cheney and Kinzinger for inhibiting legitimate political discourse because that's not what the committee's doing. They are probing a riot and insurrection, and the RNC knows it. There's such toadies to Trump, it boggles the mind. This is borne out by the fact that Trump couldn't wait to congratulate them on that resolution. We should keep in mind that this censure resolution proves once and for all that the Republican Party has gone off the deep end. They've morphed from Trump enablers to sympathizers to collaborators. This is where the Velcro, Velcro, that is, comes in. Every Democratic candidate for Congress, and yes, even state and local elections, need to attach their GOP opponents with this resolution, that is. Those that can afford it can use actual footage from January 6th to drive that point home. Make them stand up and support it. Or if they can't support it, at least explain it. I think most Americans would disagree with the legitimate political discourse line. It's up to the Democratic National Committee to Velcro their opposite number to it and to fundraise off it. If the party is serious about maintaining or even, God forbid, expanding congressional majorities, this is their opportunity. In the GOP zeal to cancel, you want to talk about cancel culture? 
What do you think is being done to Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger? Now, Kinzinger is not even running for re-election. But trust me, they are being canceled. And in so doing, these Republicans have cast their lot with the enemies of American democracy. They should never, ever be allowed to forget it. Up next, Brian Flores, former coach of the Miami Dolphins football club, calls out the NFL. And so do former employees of the Washington football club. This is The Intersection. You're listening to The Intersection of Politics and Culture with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. Brian Flores, NFL coach, cut his teeth under Bill Belichick and the extremely successful New England Patriots. In 2019, he was hired as head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Last month, he was fired, despite being the first coach to take the Dolphins to consecutive seasons, consecutive winning seasons, that is, for the first time in over 20 years. Suffice, suffice to say, he did not take his termination lying down. He is suing the NFL, the Dolphins, and two other teams, the New York Giants and Denver Broncos, alleging they discriminated against him in the hiring process. In the case of the latter two, Flores' suit claims he was only interviewed to comply with the so-called Rooney Rule, which specifies a black candidate be interviewed whenever a coaching vacancy occurs. No matter the outcome of Flores' lawsuit, the glaring fact is there is one black NFL head coach out of 32 teams. One black NFL coach out of 32 teams. This in a league where about 60% of the players are black. It's also in a league that pays lip service to diversity. It reminds me and, and I remember this like it was yesterday. It reminds me of a media conference I attended once up in Seattle. Since the conference was sponsored by journalists of color, dozens of media outlets who set up booths there were all about showcasing diversity. Many gave out pens and other paraphernalia that had diversity written all over them. At the time, about 6% of the workforces at these very outlets were people of color. A full decade later, all that talk, all those pens, all that talk of diversity produced, you guessed it, the same 6% level of diversity. So it is with the NFL. Brian Flores, again, no matter what the outcome of his suit, joins the ranks of courageous black folks who have put their careers on the line in order to level the playing field for future athletes, coaches, and managers. He joins Kurt Flood, who challenged baseball's free agent system. He lost, but won in the end. Tommy Smith and John Carlos, the black athletes who stood up for Muhammad Ali. And of course, Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed of more recent vintage. They all stood for something rather than fall for anything. Just as explosive is Flores' claim that Miami Dolphins owner Steve Ross offered him $100,000 
to lose games so the team would have a better position in the upcoming NFL draft. That may be of quite questionable legality. And Ross has denied the allegation. Got to be a little balanced and say the man said it didn't happen. If you want to go into this a little deeper, I would recommend an opinion piece on CNN by Roxanne Jones, journalist, former ESPN executive, and the author of a book about black athletes in sports. And this isn't the only issue facing the NFL as it begins the celebratory Super Bowl week. Last week, six former employees of the Washington football team, now known as the Commanders, testified on Capitol Hill. They chronicled a number of allegations of sexual misconduct on the part of top managing management, that is, including, and this is the important part, including owner Daniel Snyder. Now, many of their allegations were both reported in the press and investigated by the NFL. Trouble is, the league never made any of those findings public. Now, a congressional committee has called on Commissioner Roger Goodell to make the results of that investigation public. This taken together with John Gruden, and we talked about him a few episodes ago, paints a picture of a toxic and permissive culture along with one that is on the back foot in terms of diversity and management. And before anyone says, no, no, no one is saying owners don't have the right to hire and fire who they want, that's not what we're talking about here. It is about creating a, first of all, a zero tolerance, a zero tolerance culture for sexual misconduct and organic, inclusive hiring processes, not just for coaching, but other management jobs as well. In fact, the legendary Tony Dungy wrote a letter to the NFL owners that really put this whole issue down front. Now, if the NFL believes that it is doing the best it can to diversify its management, diversify its coaching staff, etc., it's time to tell them that for now, their best is simply not good enough. And finally, did somebody in the Biden administration really say journalists who question Defense Department accounts of bombings are siding with Russia and ISIS? You are kidding, right? This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. You may remember the U.S. Special Forces raid in Syria that killed the leader of Islamic State. Well, it turns out the U.S. military's account of that raid differed a bit from the account of first responders on the ground and the account from UNICEF, ironically enough. The Pentagon said three civilians died as a result of that bomb detonated by the terrorists, and those three were his wife and two of his children. Accounts of first responders on the ground, on the other hand, indicated they found six children and four women killed and by gunfire, not in an explosion. In response to questions about the discrepancy, as well as a reporter pressing a State Department spokesman for evidence that Russia was planning to stage an attack as a pretext to invade the Ukraine, 
in both cases, both cases, the initial response from the Biden team was to suggest that the reporters were taking the word of ISIS and Russia over that of the U.S. military. Now, generally speaking, from what I've seen, I kind of like Jen Psaki, the press secretary. She's certainly, certainly better than her predecessor. And to be fair, Jen Psaki backtracked a little, saying that the Pentagon was probing the veracity of its report on that raid in Syria. Yet this is just a bit disconcerting given the recent backtracking the Pentagon has been forced to make. You may remember the August 29th drone strike in Kabul in Afghanistan. Two days later, the military said it was a righteous strike that foiled a terrorist plot. By the middle of the next month, the Pentagon was singing a very different tune. It called that same operation a horrible mistake and ended up apologizing for the death of 10 civilians, seven of whom were children. In fact, recent history is replete with reports of activities that had to be later amended. That's right, later amended. Remember Pat Tillman, the ex-football player who was killed? And they said he was killed by enemy fire, and then it turned out he was killed by friendly fire? How about Jennifer Lynch, a hero who later contradicted the official account of what happened to her? And we don't want to talk about weapons of mass destruction, which was the pretext for the Iraq war. It seems somebody in the White House has forgotten it's the job of the press to seek truth. And when presented with conflicting accounts of a situation, to ask questions. That's what journalists do. It's not that they're in the pocket of ISIS or Russia. That's absurd, absolutely absurd. And I would expect better from people who work for Joe Biden. I just would. Now, the reporters, I believe, are right in asking about U.S. assertions that Russia has, among other things, plotted to install a sympathetic stooge as president of Ukraine. With the stakes as high as they are, along the Russian-Ukraine border. The United States, quite simply, cannot afford to get this thing wrong. And now that China has affirmed its support with a joint press release, that's its support of Russia, not of the West or the United States or NATO, stakes are even higher. We talked about the Ukrainian crisis last episode, and things have changed a little, but to be honest, most Americans have no clue what Russia's demands are and what their interests are. And I think a lot of Americans really don't care. They just, they look at Russia like we were taught to look at the Soviet Union as bad. Bad, inimical to U.S. interests, etc., etc. Now, it may turn out that everything that the U.S. has said, the military has said about Russia about trying to install a puppet president to take over from the guy who was democratically elected, uh, that they are, in fact, planning an invasion, the whole nine. They could be right. The military could be right 100%. But they are, at least as, as far as past experience is concerned, periodically wrong. not saying they're wrong all the time, but there are times when they're wrong. And when confronted with conflicting facts, like in Syria, 
It is a reporter's job, job, to ask questions. Now, when it comes to Russia in particular, they point to U.S. adventures in the Middle East, like Afghanistan, Iraq, and other parts of the world, and they say they're only establishing their own spheres of influence, and they want the West to keep their distance. The West, on the other hand, refuses to believe that the Russians are not preparing an invasion of Ukraine. But you know what? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. And, you know, I don't expect the American government to say, hey, you know, we're not sure what the Russians have got 100,000 troops massed on the Ukrainian-Russian border for. I, I understand, you know, it's probably expect the worst. But don't shoot the messenger. Don't try and link reporters asking legitimate questions to support for Russia or the insurgents in Syria or ISIS or Al-Qaeda or anybody else. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Intersection. The executive producer of the broadcast is Ms. Kim Jack Riley. Music is by Eric Lund. Until we meet again, please stay well.